if you imagine a group of eight lads, <laughs> like the nicest and prettiest one, yeah. but he's still a lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, good 3am to all of you. This is House of Bards, a podcast about the shared narrative style of role-playing, game mastery, and playing. It is. That's absolutely what it is. I am Alex, and this is Beth. I am Beth, indeed I am. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to talk about this week, Beth? Um, We're going to talk about gods, uh, pantheons, a bit of mythology... Um, okay. And the world in in there that it takes place in. Cool. So a bit of a DM heavy episode, but uh, if you've ever played a cleric, you'll probably find this episode very interesting. Mm-hmm. Or a paladin, or mm, in paladins. a couple of places a monk. Monks tend not to be involved, but very occasionally no, yeah, they yeah. are. Mm. Um, so gods then. If we're talking specifically in the context of D and D, it's pretty difficult to avoid religion. It is a bit, yeah. They do have their own set of gods and their own um, pantheon. I don't know that much about their own gods, unfortunately. Well, so... I don't believe it's the same. Like, uh, I believe across all Wizards-controlled settings, yeah. there's this, like, each setting has its own pantheon of gods, but there's also, yeah. like, a universal pantheon of gods. Uh, I know Bahamut is one of them, I think. Mm. I don't know much about the others. Lolf, I think, turns up quite a lot in uh, yes. various different settings. Um but yeah, going back to my original point, it is very, very difficult to escape religion in Dungeons and Dragons because it plays a fairly heavy mechanical role in uh, characters' morality and also is like the primary motivator behind the cleric and paladin classes. So mm-hmm. while it is theoretically possible to have like a world with no gods, even in that world, players have to play characters who think there are gods. Yeah. And in that case, then you're running into places where, like, clerics and paladins are actually, like, innately magical, but believe they are getting their powers divinely. Which Mm. honestly seems weird. You're going to have to do quite a bit of house ruling to get around the necessity of of gods, goddesses, and other deities in uh, Dungeons & Dragons. It's pretty pretty required. I believe Mm. other systems are a little... Uh, laxer on that requirement yeah um i know that there are certain systems that are more into spirits of the land and stuff like that and that's where perhaps you draw your mystical powers from rather than gods um but i mean dungeons and dragons is a bit peculiar in some ways because it very specifically has classes like paladins and clerics and so you must therefore have some form of religion in your world um to an extent uh so that makes it quite um, unusual, I think. Gods maybe make Dungeons and Dragons a bit more. Uh, they, they, I'm not necessarily sure if it's their selling point, but it definitely. Um, a lot of them don't tend to bother with it or have gods and goddesses as flavor world building stuff like sagas of sagas of the Icelanders and stuff like that. Um, oh, and of course, apocalypse where you can start your own cult, um, <laughs> and that sort of thing. I mean, there are other settings that have gods and such in, but um. Mm, yeah. This one's a bit more, uh, you know, they're very integrated into Dungeons and Dragons, shall we say. Which is not necessarily to say 
that you can't be a bit flexible over how exactly the requirement for gods to exist is implemented into your world. And, you know, this is something that I have taken quite a, a bit of interest in when writing um, aspects of Dawn Sombra as a setting. Mm. Like, I'm pretty sure you can attest uh, that you... there's not there's not really, like, any two places with the same attitude to religion. Yeah. It's like, um, in Meslin, for instance... Uh, they have a very, uh, I'd say, maybe traditional attitude to a pantheon of gods. And gods are very often pantheonic in D&D. Um, yeah. For a variety of reasons. Um, for one, uh, especially in editions that do that, it allows different deity domains. Uh, for another thing, if you've been raised in a monotheistic culture, monotheism is generally pretty boring. So... Yeah. Genius. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> it's an attraction to have a, a a pantheonic system when it comes to deities because it sort of removes the obligation for that god to be particularly universal in their mm. like desirability. And it's more fun for DMs as well because I think pantheonic gods they kind of they give you a lot more range to play different characters mm. and they in introduce an aspect of inherent conflict into yeah like the primal forces affecting the the setting they do yeah um like i th i think that's why stuff like greek mythology and norse mythology kind of prevails today and we still love it so much and it's in so much pop culture stuff is because you have these personalities associated with these particular gods and the infighting and the stories that were told back then, still travelled on today. That's not... I mean, I'm not calling um, the major monotheistic religions shit, and I'm not saying that your theology's crap. It's all very nice. But <laughs> it's just... it's um, There's a reason why I suppose the pagan religions um, still live on in our hearts, shall we say. Um, well, yeah, uh, so, like, Meslin is the sort of core area that's the most traditional in the way that its its deities are set up. There are... Um, 24 deities in the Miscellanean Pantheon and 12 domains, 8 default ones and 4 custom ones um, that are spread uh, like around the gods where like like there'll be a god who just has that domain and then there'll be two other gods that have that domain and one other domain for each of them. And they sort of, like, represent all aspects of life for these people. And they represent actually the, like, merging of two separate systems of belief, which is another trope that comes up a lot when you're talking about religion in fantasy universes, is they'll mm -hmm. often be, like, places where two separate religions have sort of attempted to integrate with each other, which is not all that far-fetched, given yeah. it was a thing that did actually happen in real life quite a lot. I mean, early Christianity is mm. dotted with attempts to integrate it into, like, the religious uh, systems followed by powerful people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like... Every country you go into that has Christianity, it's taken on a part of the original folklore and mythology of their religion. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you look at stuff like even Japanese Christianity, and their Mary is always in like the very traditional Japanese clothes, and she's always depicted as Japanese. Of course, she would mm -hmm. be, and Jesus accordingly looks like a Japan small Japanese child. So. That's something I find interesting. Well, um, like the kind of example I was going to use is that the reason we have Christmas in the middle of winter 
is because of mm. early attempts to integrate uh, Christianity with the story of Mithras, who, as yeah. far as the Romans were concerned, was the soldier deity. And if you yeah. get the Roman legion on side, you're probably going to be persecuted a whole lot less. Yeah, and, like, um, Santa is Odin. D is <laughs> Have you ever heard this? Santa's no? Odin, no. and the reindeer is a, his horse with the many legs. That's where that comes from. I mean, other the fact that St. Nick was... I think he was a real person. Um, yes, St. Nicholas was a real person, yeah. Yeah, but he's not... Like, like I hate to break it to you guys, but Santa doesn't exist. Um, and he's not... You know, like, St. Nick didn't have magical powers. He was just a very nice, lovely man um, who did a lot of work for children at that particular time period. Um, Odin is actually Santa. Um, and delivers presents to children in certain folklore, which I find fascinating. So it's been changed around, obviously, to fit more into what we would assume as a Christian thing, um, because we can't have um, a one-eyed, bearded man with many ravens coming into people's homes and giving them presents. That would be ridiculous. So it's a jolly fat man in a red suit. Obviously. Yeah. With a shit ton of reindeer. Though I like reindeers better than horses. I'm glad that was changed. That's honestly probably the easiest kind of religion to set up for your world because it provides sort of a set of highest authorities on all of the particular concepts that your players might want to be clerics or paladins of and all of the particular concepts that your players might want to venerate. Yeah, uh, like religion can be important to a lot of characters. It can inform... I think what's important to them, maybe a bit of their past, um, you know, like soldiers who worship war gods and stuff like that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and thieves who, you know, are good in with trickery gods and such and the like, I think that's, it definitely helps characters' characterization when there is strong religion in a universe mm. where maybe that's important, um... Bear in mind, however, it doesn't necessarily have to be a pantheon in order to have pantheonic influences. No, of course not. For instance, um, most systems of saints uh, in modern uh, Christianity, like Catholic saints and, to a lesser extent, other types of saint, um, sort of fulfill that same role of being like specific objects of... Uh, like representation of a particular concept for veneration. Mm. Um, so you could do that if, for some reason, you wanted to have a, a monotheistic system, just uh, have like lesser non-god uh, beings who will act as sort yeah. of conduits for like worship around a particular concept. Yeah. Um. What else? What other types of of because this is the thing, I, I try not to repeat the same system of belief twice in two different countries. Um, yeah. The Sparing Temples on the Isle of Bells are kind of weird in that they're sort of like halfway between two systems. Um, the way the Elven Empire does it is... The interesting thing about all the other um, systems of religion in the world is that none of them really involve creator gods. Like pretty much all of them assume that the gods are simply like all-powerful beings who were created along with the universe and now rule over it. So the Elven Empire worships the old magic, which is the force that every single 
other religion believes genuinely did create the universe. Mm. But as far as they're concerned, like the the elves are like weirdly aggressively atheist because as far as they're concerned, the old magic gods are gone. Yeah. Like they are the true religion, but also they're just not here anymore. Mm-hmm. Which means if you're a cleric or a paladin and you're getting special powers from like divine worship, then you're probably in league with demons because <laughs> that's a logical inconsistency. You can't be getting special powers from worship of gods because all the gods are dead. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're pretty harsh on heretics, at least in places where they actually have the resources to punish them. Yeah. Uh, most recently in, in uh, the game I run on Tuesdays, a, a priest got off with a warning because in the place where she was caught they didn't really have like a prison or anything to, to deal with her um, then you have uh, the Kirk in Varash and the Kirk is one of my favourite ideas for a religion which is the Kirk do not really worship any gods because the thing you, you have Meslin who are like no no there's gods, the gods, the gods and then there's demons, and then there's the Elven Empire who are like, oh, no, no, our gods are the true gods, your gods are also demons. And then the Kirk is like, it doesn't fucking matter, does it? Like, demons and gods is the same. <laughs> They're the same thing. They're absolutely the same thing. It's just all ultra-powerful exoplanar beings are the same. So, like, the, the Kirk don't worship any gods at all. Basically, there's just a sort of, like... If you imagine, like... 15th century hysteria over like Satan and evil and like nefarious forces beyond our control in like heaven and earth and down in hell with all of the like gargoyles and shit and all of the gothic imagery but without the central monotheistic conceit that's what the Kirk is the Kirk is just literally everything that lives on an exoplane wants to kill you probably in an excruciatingly painful way these are the ones that it's probably a good idea to get in with so like they do have clerics but the clerics are less like you should worship my god and more they're a lot more like warlocks in the this is the being i've decided to throw my lot in with Hmm. really the only distinction is that a warlock you actually have to make a contract with whereas the kirk acknowledges that there are some gods who are benevolent enough that you can just like join their political party and subscribe to their newsletter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. And and it'll and it'll be fine. Yeah. But like the, the Kirk seems to take a very fearful view of like just gods and demons and all that shit in general, and doesn't really draw a huge amount of distinction between like making a deal with a very powerful devil or demon and worshiping a god and just sort of becoming powerful enough that things will leave you alone. Mm-hmm. They're, they're how to survive in a cruel world that hates you, which is very appropriate for Varash, I think, because Varash is a terrible place. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Where things just are, are awful all the time. Yeah, well, I think that's it, isn't it? The religion of a place sometimes also follows the predominant kind of cultural thinking of that place. If a religion is going to become culturally powerful, then that means that it has to sort of make some attempt to address the common anxieties of a populace. Mm. 
So it makes sense that there would be this very no-nonsense religion that isn't really, like, incredibly idealistic and is very practical in terms of this is how you can not die in a place where it is very likely that you will die in a horrible way without ever having really accomplished anything. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's one that, you know, like, and to any DMs out there who are like, oh, I don't really want to make my own gods up or I don't really want to do this. This is something important to remember, but the pantheon or gods that you choose, whatever religion you choose, it will inform a lot about the world and what happens in that world. Um, Bear in mind, though, that if you're running a very small scenario like the one that we described in Getting Started, where like very little about your world has been defined yet, it is often not a problem if you want to just let anybody who wants to play a paladin or a cleric just make up a god. Yeah. As long as you're like, can I use this god later as like canon of the setting? There is at least one god in my setting. Uh, his name is Osiric, who, like, that was totally what happened. Yeah. Just made up for the first scenario. Mm-hmm. Like, took what his domain likely was from the way that the player behaved. And I'm like, okay, he's a god now yeah. in this particular pantheon. Yeah, like, uh, it's what I did with demons in my setting. Matt was like, I want to play a warlock. And I was like, oh, Christ. Um, <laughs> and then I went, okay, well, uh, what, you know, like, um, you made a deal with the demon. And then obviously, and then he came with this really great idea for the demon that he could have. And I, I think that's really good when players do that, not only with demons, but with gods. Who are like, hey, mm. what about this kind of a religion? And you're like, oh, that's very interesting. That's I like that. Well done, player. Well done. Here's a piece of candy and a, a pat on the head. Go make your character. This is weird now. It is a bit. But yeah, that that does save a lot of work for you as well. Yeah. And I, I feel like that the, the adherence to the old magic works a lot for the um, for the empire, just because. That means the Empire can be like, well, our god is the original god gods. Mm. Like, they're not here anymore. All other gods are, by definition, lesser than the creators of the universe. So, like, obviously we're right. Mm. Like, with no real sense of practicality, just that, like, their dominant ideology gives them some sense that they are, like, better than everybody yeah. else. Which is, which is very, very elf-y. much how Imperial elves behave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily bell elves, but like no, yeah. definitely the empire does behave that way. Yeah, um, and it allows them to be like very cruel and still think that they're right. Yeah, I kind Whereas, of like Meslin are, are like the country that's kind of doing okay. So they have a variety of gods for if you're doing okay. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of in your world, I kind of imagine like the empire elves being like the literal empire from like. Star Wars, where like everybody's got like this really haughty, like um, like high class Queen's English British accent, and then you just get to oh, the well, Isle of those. and they just get to the Isle of Bells, and everyone sort of speaks with a slightly um funny West Country accent because it's the most non threatening one there is, um, mm. next to the Welsh, obviously. Yeah, fair. <laughs> mm. So yeah, yeah, um. Well, they're actually kind of... I believe comparisons have been drawn with, like, Warhammer's Imperium of Man. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, with the actual Roman Empire, which is yeah. indeed who they're aesthetically based well, on. Well, yes, yes. Um, probably the most interesting religion I've come up with, though, is the Relendian religion. Mm. Because the Relendian religion is, like, 
honestly possibly the most controversial. They have a completely different idea of what a god even is to everybody else. And if you remember um, the Elm Civi from Morrowind, those of you who've played that, it's probably closest to that, and we can maybe talk about that in a little bit. Um, in essence, what the the Relendians do is that, like, at least Relendian gnomes and humans have these, like, I believe there's seven of them. Nobody's visited Relend yet, so I'm still working out the details, but I think there's seven of them who are these sort of terrestrial, like, human demigods, in essence, who, who, like, they're incredibly powerful and they are actually deities, but they're, like, real people who you could meet in the material world. And, like, the Relendians worship them because their definition of a god specifically excludes exoplanar beings. They're just like, no, it... We recognize that those beings are very, very powerful, and we recognize that the old magic created the universe, but as far as we're concerned, being a god is not just about how powerful you are. There's also, like, an implied level of responsibility, of, like, care and dominion over groups, like, cultural groups of, of worshippers. And as far as we're concerned, if you don't exist in the same plane as the people over whom you have a responsibility, then by definition you are not a god which is controversial and it's honestly only them who really believe that but this is what i mean like that kind of thing when i say you can play fast and loose with what the like definition of a god is mm. if you don't want to have like a traditional um set of men and women in the sky mm. that definitely you can like obviously you can do the thing where like the traveller who you meet briefly on the road is actually the god of travellers and shit, but also you can just have, like, the gods are less powerful than supreme exoplanar beings, but they are real people you can meet and possibly briefly touch. Yes. Um, which is indeed, as I mentioned, how Morrowind did it, mm. at least for one of its religions. And... I know in Morrowind, like, throughout the plot, it becomes increasingly more clear that the Elm Civi is illegitimate, but the way that they set themselves up as a religion is still, like, definitely worthy of analysis under this particular topic. Mm. Like, you are able to be exposed to, like, the exact means by which their power is limited, and where it comes from, and why it's inferior to the power of, of the Nine Divines or the Daedra Lords, but they're still gods. They're still worshipped. They are still part of our religion. It's not quite the state religion. There's some weird stuff going on by the time Morrowind actually happens where it's like half integrated with the Nine Divines and it's sort of semi-autonomous. I don't know. It was strange and like honestly by the end of that game and its expansions only one of the Elm Civi is even alive and can not be. So, I don't know. I think it's just a, a, a good place to start if you want to like look at different ways to, to do gods. Do you have something to say? Um, I think so. I'm just thinking about the religion in my setting in Tua is quite you know similar. The gods all have some amount of presence within the world and depending on the strength of their presence in the physical plane, it's how involved they are in people's day-to-day -day lives, to an extent. Um, so you have Sinus, the god of uh, sarcasm and wit, who was like, I mean, he's basically like, he's 
he's he's my Captain Ersatz of Loki, essentially. Um, who sort of just sits there and is very smug and causes lots of mischief, and he has the largest presence outside, of course, the God of Death, who just sits in his giant death palace in the desert and broods. Uh, and I, I think that's very um, the the idea of that. That's sort of my idea of how involved the gods are in causing interference in our own lives is how much presence they have in the physical plane and how much they mess about so a god like is it Shendar? Yeah, Shendar who created the gods. It's your setting. Yeah, I know, I'm like the, the... <laughs> it's a lot of names to remember but you know, you have someone like Shendar who created the gods and then isn't really that much further involved in everyone's lives because they did this thing and then they're like, well, that's me done. Peace out, everyone. I'm off to the existential planes to do God things. So, yeah. yeah. Something I do find is that uh, the one deity it is very easy for all of the religions in Dawn Zumba to agree on is Skedrenth. Because yes. in all honesty, it doesn't matter what you think Skedrenth is. Most religions agree that he does exist. Yeah. Because, like, obviously, like, Meslin thinks he's uh, he's not quite the god of evil, but he's like the god of pillage, destruction, um, dragons, uh, just general, uh, not death, but like just being a fucker to people. Yeah, god of not nice things. Like, uh, like, dude is not nice, and honestly, like, I am worried that in all the cases where he's actually appeared, he's come off um, as way more affably evil than he really ought to be. Yeah. Like, he's, in essence, he is, like, traditional depictions of Satan. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, that's why he's so easy for pretty much all cultures to believe in, because obviously Meslin thinks he's a god, everybody else thinks he's a demon, but pretty much everybody is sure that he does exist. Mm. Uh, in, in particular because, like, his interjections into the material world tend to be very dramatic. Yeah. Like, he cre- the last thing he did of any real note was create the dragon Triumvirate, which has been a talking point for most of the people who didn't get immediately murdered by the Dragon Triumvirate and uh, all of the elves who now hate the Dragonborn because of the Dragon Triumvirate. <laughs> so, like, Skedrenth is quite often on people's minds as sort of this enemy of all that is good. Yeah, he's, he's a real knob. Um, the I believe our group has encountered him, actually. Yes, although a very weakened form of him that uh, sort of deigned to be, like, kind of w- more wacky than Skedrenth in his element might be. Because mm. gods in each other's domains is, is severely weakened. Yeah. You're not really supposed to do that. Yeah. Um, something I did like doing with that particular pantheon was that not all of the gods are binary gendered. Some of them are not gendered at all. At least two of them do not necessarily really interact with the human concept of identity very much. Like, the implication is that Tanitha and Zechiundite are both sentient, but it feels weird to give them pronouns outside of it, because there's no real implication that they relate to, like, having an identity the way that a more human-like being would. Mm. Um, and... Honestly, that is the kind of shit that you can very, very easily get away with in mythologies. Yeah. If you take nothing else away from this episode, I would say look up, like, the way that mythologies and, like, holy scripture, like, 
legends tend to be written because it's a very marked style. Uh, I mean, obviously, like some of it is attributable to the way that those particular documents have been translated. Mm. I don't believe that they were all like written in exactly the same style, but like you can look at that and it's the kind of thing where it's like a, a, a sort of either you're really, really going to enjoy writing that stuff for your own world just because you like really, really enjoy the way that it's written or you won't. Mm. But it's very much a Marmite thing. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people who really, really enjoy world building um, scripture for religions because they can really get into like the way that that stuff is generally written. Mm. Um, it, it's a very distinct kind of style. Um, I, I, I love it. I'm fascinated with it, mm. uh, despite not being particularly religious myself. Mm. I'm not so much a fan of, of writing that kind of stuff because I can never really get my head around the way it's written because of the fact it's probably been translated like a million times. But I do think that stories about gods and folklore and theology, they are very important. Like, that's what gives your gods their personalities in a sense. And it's how, you know, it's how we're able to go, man, Loki, he's, he's such a little shit because he's in all of these Eddas being a little shit and being a bit, you know, and we know that Thor is a bit prideful and a bit 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 of a lout, sorry, uh, because he's doing all of this shit and then him and Loki have to go and fix the shit and somehow it's still Loki's fault. And you have Odin being a bit of a knob, to be honest. I've never liked Odin. I'm putting my hand down right now. Odin is a knob. Um, <laughs> not in the same way that Zeus is a knob. Zeus is... Zeus is an entirely different kind of knob. Zeus is, yeah. Zeus is like king knob of the knobs he's terrible odin's a knob mostly in like hindsight like most like odin is a knob in terms of makes poor decisions from a position of responsibility yeah. whereas zeus is a knob in terms of man who probably shouldn't have been given position of responsibility in the first place <laughs> occasionally remembers that he exists in position of responsibility <laughs> yeah like my favorite thing about odin right is that he looks at this giant man-eating dog and he's like, well, because your father basically killed my son, I'm going to tie you up to my throne. Nothing bad can possibly come of this. Ragnarok comes round. What's the first thing that happens to Odin? He gets ate by the giant wolf that he enslaved. What did you expect, Odin? What did you expect? Zeus, on the other hand, is just like... Zeus is someone else entirely. He's a real... Ter like, he is a terrible person. Let's, let's make this one one thing clear. Zeus is a fucking awful person. To be even more clear, like, Poseidon is also a terrible person. Like, it's not like the oh, yeah, entire yeah. Greek pantheon resolves, revolves around, like, nice people and Zeus who is in control of all of them. <laughs> like, Hades is alright, but he did do that whole, like, shit with um, Persephone, which doesn't quite go the happy way that you'd want it to. No. Like quite a lot of the of the stuff that you've heard that sort of softens that story is unfortunately apocryphal. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously you do have to take the it was a different time yeah, filter. Yeah. And there's no way he's as bad as Zeus no. or Poseidon, but I mean, eh. like maybe the one decent god is Hephaestus, right? That that poor guy. He's all like he's a bit broken, but he's still good. And Zeus is just like I love all my children equally, except you, Hephaestus. Get the fuck out of here. And Hephaestus is like, the fuck, Dad? The fuck? 
in all honesty, like it's not really surprising that the Greek gods are pretty fucked up if you look at the home that they came That's from. That's true. Like the Titans were terrible. The Titans are so Titans worst parents ever. Mm. What do you wait? What did you expect Zeus to turn up when he was raised by those assholes? Seriously, it all relates yeah. back to home and how people are brought up, unfortunately, sometimes. And yeah. Yeah. You have the no, no most, most of the Norse gods are generally quite practical because they came from a very hardy practical people, but they're all very fated. Uh the Vikings like, fucking loved fate. Um The the Norse gods are a pretty good representation of the fact that if you have a pantheon, then that means that you don't have to have all of your divinity's behaviour be divine. Yeah. Because you can have gods of the less savory aspects of your culture's behaviour. Mm. Um, like look, the the Greek gods do this as well, yes, and definitely. so do a number of other um, pantheons. But you know, uh, you know, Loki, god of thieves yeah. and trickery, um, and also male homosexuality, which is absolutely fascinating. Um, but yeah, the guy is, mm-hmm. you know, man, I love Loki, and I think I don't like it when he basically gets turned into Satan in modern depictions. Like, I don't like it that they do that with Hades as well, but I can kind of understand with Hades. It's very inappropriate to do with Hades. Like, yeah. Hades has the aesthetic, but he really doesn't have the personality the text to back him up. <laughs> yeah. H- Hades is just kind of this sad, mopey kind of... Loki is a bit more of an asshole, but I feel he is still more nuanced than basically Satan. Yeah. Like... In all honesty, Satan is more nuanced than he, basically yeah, Satan. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it's give Satan a he's bit of credit. He's not even a god, but yeah. like he's a mythological like figure yeah. who does actually have a fair amount of nuance behind him. Yeah, I, I believe it is like sometimes said in uh, atheist circles that possibly the first step of disillusionment is when you start kind of agreeing with Satan. <laughs> yeah, like... which is possibly the main reason why it's so difficult for people raised in like heavily Christian households to break out of that. Because honestly, that's not a good start. Yeah, good guy Satan. Oh, that's a great meme. Mm. Like, I don't quite a lot of of Satan's trickery is just satan turning up to like key important people and like talking to them and being like god's being kind of a knob yeah. <laughs> and he's usually yeah, right he like is, we absolutely. wouldn't accept that behavior from human beings yeah. it's like uh you know jesus i could give you some food if you wanted to and jesus is like i'm good i'm good thanks i'm good and it's like you know it this does seem like a bit of an abusive relationship you know you're giving mm. everything to everyone and you know, may, have you ever thought that maybe we don't deserve it? And you know, that you know, your dad's a bit of an airhole, and Jesus is just like, "Oh God, Satan, please, not right now." Okay, this, I've got to do hey, this. Eve, 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 did 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 he tell you not to eat from that tree? <laughs> I, I, good. Did he tell you why? Because, because I kind of feel like, I mean, it's right there. It's kind of an asshole thing for him to put it there and then not tell you why you shouldn't eat from it. Especially since this whole garden is supposed to be, like, for you. I mean, maybe. Maybe it is a, a test of, of your obedience to him, but it seems like a really pointless test, to be honest. And it's kind of counter to, like... Basically, this test is attempting to teach you a lesson that I'm not entirely sure you're actually going to need if you're going to stay in this garden forever and just live forever. It seems strange. Mm-hmm. Why would he even put it there? You should eat some of it, because, honestly, I think we all want to see what's going to happen, because <laughs> he's being kind of an asshole. <laughs> Just saying, yeah. I'm just saying. Hey, hey guys, have you... Also, where are my legs? Yeah. Also, hey guys, have you noticed, like, ever since God made all these humans, he's not really been paying that much attention to us anymore? I don't think he really appreciates all the work that we do for him, and 
I think he's kind of ignored us. Like, I think these are like his new favorite toy. I'm not necessarily done with that, guys. And I think he's kind of treating us all like crap. I think we should rebel. Because uh, it seems like all we do is just all of this paperwork for him. And he never really gives us anything in return. And we're clearly some of his most brilliant creations. And, you know, I, I just don't think it's very fair. So, uh, what do you say, guys? Uh, revolt? Or, like, yes? No? What do you think? Pussin. Always maligned. So, uh, you're listening to House of Bards, your uh, premier Satanist uh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, premier Satanist and Steven Universe podcast. I mean, I don't believe that we're the only Satanist Steven Universe entity out there. <laughs> but you might have to dig a little while to find the others. Oh dear. Goodness. So, if you still really don't want to come up with this stuff on your own, I mean, for a start, um, there is the general pool of deities for uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like, you know, mm. just across all, all settings, which you can use. Mm -hmm. Or you could do what Magic the Gathering did and just sort of, like, make weird XPs of. An existing pantheon of gods. That's what I did. Because, <laughs> like, a couple of the roles were swapped around for the Theros set, and, like, some beings who in mythology were not gods, like Sharon the Ferryman, got turned into gods. But in all honesty, like, Theros is ancient Greece, and the Theros gods are more or less the Greek gods. Mm. <laughs> like, that's their whole deal. And that's fine. Like, there was a decent amount of lore there, even though, yeah. like... You know, Heliod is Zeus, and also Helios. That was that. That was a bit weird. I, th I think they they did actually try, and they didn't just like mask everything. Mm. But like, you can just do that. And the thing about actual pantheons is that they did generally cover all of the topics that people were generally concerned about in a society like that. Mm. Or you know, you could also run a historical game, uh, like my my friend runs, which is actually set in ancient Greece, and then you just get the whole ancient Greek pantheon. Yeah. I am playing a cleric of Dionysus in that group. It's really fun. Um, partly because he, like, is ostensibly supposed to be, like, this, uh, like, good-natured party animal. <laughs> but he is honestly pretty much the only party member with any morals whatsoever. <laughs> Welcome to ancient Greece. Enjoy your stare. We're, we're low on morals and we're low like, on money. Like, I imagined him... I imagined him as, like, this, this, um... Like, good-natured, but debauched drunkard. Yeah. Uh, like, basically, like, if you imagine a group of eight lads, <laughs> like, the nicest and prettiest one, yeah. but he's still a lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, no, actually, he's just basically going around all the time, like, uh, you all need Jesus. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Fuck is this? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Am I the only person who thinks, like, stuff like molesting children is wrong? Uh, I mean, he was exaggerating there. What they were doing was not actually molesting children. It was like leaving children to be eaten by monsters, mm. uh, but tying them up to make sure that that would happen. Yeah. Just like that poor cleric. He's just he's just in such a morally bankrupt like. Like <laughs> when <laughs> when like a divinely obligate drunkard is your source of morality. <laughs> Possibly you are bad people. Yeah. It's it's like that you know that episode of Futurama 
where all of the robots I probably have, don't, but go like, on. All of the robots have like a secret society and Bender turns out to be like the one who's like, hold on a minute, do we really want to kill all the humans, guys? And they're all like, yeah, we want to kill all the humans. Speaking of which, there is a hedonist robot in that who is like, who's like a cultural depiction of Dionysus and I, I think that's quite funny. Hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, we could talk about like the Egyptian gods. Yeah. Um, I don't know a great deal about the Egyptian gods actually, which is kind of. I think I think that like in comparison to the Greek or Viking pantheons, the Egyptian gods tend to be a little bit more descriptive rather than prescriptive. Mm. Like they have less of a role in the everyday goings on of the culture over which they like have purview, and it's more the like a lot of basic cosmic functions of that society are explained as being the responsibility of gods. Yeah. So they're not necessarily, like, gods who will enact, like, severe punishment on you on a whim. They're more like, this is the deity behind this particular process. Yeah. But that's honestly a guess, really, from, like, the minimal research that I've done. Yeah. And there were quite a lot of gods in that pantheon, so it is possible that I am entirely incorrect. If I am, uh, maybe... Put that in a comment or contact us somehow because I'm sure that would be very interesting mm. for people to to read about. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting about um, the Egyptian gods is, well, the ancient Egyptian gods is they they're kind of this combination of like animal and human and animals that were generally in Egypt at the time, and that's something I find very interesting. When well, we know that that religion was pretty animal focused. Yeah, like animals were very important, and that makes sense. Yeah. you know. Um, there was quite a bit of agriculture going on and like a lot of domestic animals as well. Like animals were important in that society. So it makes sense that like your descriptive deities would like reflect that. So this is also something to think about when you are coming up with your own uh, pantheon is like, what kind of theme are you likely to go with for like deities that these people might have? And Admittedly, this is more difficult to do in a fantasy universe where ostensibly all of these deities are provably real, mm. because then it becomes a little bit more weird that all of the deities who, like, like, seem to come from a society making them up based on what's important to them are actually, like, actually real. Unless, as I mentioned last podcast, you read Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Mm. Where by that system, it's actually it makes complete sense why that would happen. Um, but then, of course, if you're using those mechanics, uh, that's going to create other different problems for you <laughs> as mm. to like how deities actually work. Uh, and actually, you may feel that it gives players a power over the cosmic realm that you possibly don't want them to have. Yeah. Um, I'm being very vague here. Read Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Like, it's a pretty out-there work on this subject. I mean, I know I said it was relevant to last week's topic. It is. It is also very, very relevant to this week's topic because, like, this stuff is what it's actually about. So it's just a really good book to read uh, about this stuff. It's honestly just a pretty good book in general. Mm. The main character is kind of bland, but not really unlikable, so... It's fine. Yeah, I've um, I've got I've sort of started thinking about the uh, comic book, uh, the Wicked and the the 
uh, Wicked and the Divine um, by uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, which is the idea of, like, all the gods from, like, every pantheon exist and are reborn into our world every 90 or so years, which is an interesting concept on its own. And also, when they are reborn, they become pop stars, but that's kind of aside from that. Because you have these very these gods with these very interesting personalities and they're all interacting with each other in kind of like cross pantheon interactions like, you know, the idea of someone like, you know, Lucifer and Baphomet interacting with each other and Morrigan and Baphomet interacting with each other is a very interesting idea, um, which I think is kind of a, the similar idea behind um, American gods, isn't it? That you have gods from different pantheons interacting. Oh, actually, another work to to check out in relation to this and this is also a series that i have mentioned before on the podcast uh, check out the long dark tea time of the soul which is the second story in douglas Adams' short-lived dirk gently series ah. which does actually deal with specifically this issue um so yeah the, the the first one is good for time travel second one good for deities mm. um I, I personally would recommend that you check out the uh, BBC radio drama because that's my favoured method of consumption of that particular story and it's it's really good. Uh, that one doesn't have um, Billy Boyd in it except very briefly because it's about other different characters but it still has um, uh, like the a large amount of the rest of the core cast. Like the people who are in it are very good and it's still by Dirk Maggs who is... A very wild-haired man seemingly obsessed with uh, keeping all of Douglas Adams' stuff going. So I definitely recommend it, and it does deal with, like, specifically the concepts of what a god is mm. and what happens when you stop believing in a god. Yeah. Well, that's uh, something that... There's a lot of overlap between that and American gods. Um, that's something that's similar in Terry Pratchett, isn't it? That uh, The less you... The more you believe in a concept, the stronger that concept is in that world. And so if you believe in a god, belief in a god makes it real, essentially. Um, So you have this sort of concept in the Terry Pratchett Discworld where while you know the gods are real, you refuse to worship them because they're always a dick to you. It's kind of the idea of like natheism, but I think there is a proper term for it where you believe that god exists, but you refuse to worship him on the grounds that you don't like them very much, basically. Um, this is much easier to do in like fantasy worlds where the gods are like known quantities. Well, yeah, that that's it, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, and it is honestly like one of the founding principles of the Kirk. Yeah, as I explained before, that yeah. like the Kirk is like this is who you can afford to piss off if they're a dick to you. Yeah, like like the the one th- like the the principle behind the Kirk that I I wanted to put in was that the, the Kirk are very I don't want to say humanity like I don't want to say they're like pro humanity. Yeah. Um, but whatever a collective noun would be for like humans and other human-like sapients, so like orcs primarily, yeah. Um, but also like anybody else who wants to be as uh, mortals, mm. we'll say. Um, the 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 Kirk is very pro-mortal. The the Kirk is honestly kind of like a trade union mm. for mortals. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just like. If you join the Kirk, you're offered some minimal amount of direction and protection from people who can otherwise just sort of batter you around. Yeah. Like, without any real care. It's 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 the relieve your cosmic horror a little bit uh, service. Yeah. 
which I, I think definitely makes sense for the for the setting. And it's it's definitely a way that you could look at. Honestly, that's one of the roles that religion tends to traditionally fulfill as well. So, mm. so really, all I've done there is I've taken a very bog standard, possibly even monotheistic religion, and just removed the like just cored it out yeah. <laughs> and like removed the central premise and then just all of the paraphernalia is, is still around, which is like you could experiment with removing different parts of existing religions and seeing how they alter and like what set of circumstances might cause them to arise. Mm. I know that in uh, my setting we have the nomads who are largely monotheistic, but they've taken that to mean as while we recognise these other gods exist, this specific god is ours, and that's the one that we're going to worship. Um, and so that's what they do. They recognise, yes, other gods do exist, and belief in them isn't necessarily wrong, but we are the nomads, we are her people, therefore we will worship her. Because, to be fair, she is the goddess of nomads, and other things like fertility and large jungle cats. Um, and presumably the fertility of nomadic large jungle cats. Yes, yes. Uh, leopards really appreciate her uh, her input in their lives. Are leopards nomadic? I think they are. Anywhere. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel jaguars probably the jaguar, are. They are, they definitely are. So, yeah. But yeah, it's that kind of idea of, yeah, we know there are other religions and gods out there, but we like this one the most, and and we think that that's that we think we're st- we think we're sticking with this one, unless of course you mm. have some sort of crisis of faith and decide to worship the god of death instead and be a pirate. Yeah, a pirate, 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 pirate. So yeah, I I feel like if you're gonna take any step into this world, into this topic in your world, you need to think very heavily about what religion is, what purpose it's supposed to. Serve like what problems it addresses, and also how many of those things are modified or affected by the presumption that all religions are true. In fact, I'm pretty sure all religions are true is the tagline of like the the central conceit of a couple of uh, fictional properties that we haven't mentioned. So maybe go and seek some of those out. Mm. Uh. In any case, I would definitely recommend uh, reading or otherwise consuming all of the things that we have mentioned. Definitely go read Wicked and the Divine. It's wonderfully drawn. Pretty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Throw uh, a comic I... recommendation out there. We don't talk about comics that much. Not indie comics, yes. anywhere. I f- we, we, we had a conversation privately about comics that like probably wouldn't be that off-topic for the podcast at some point. Mm. I mean, at this point, we kind of just got to pick everything, like, pick up whatever we can as a podcast topic. Yeah. Uh, I would <laughs> recommend um, reading American Gods and listening to all of Dirk Gently, or reading it. I, I would say listen to it, but, you know, the the books in that case did come first, so you could read them if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just generally find that I have more time for, like, books that are in audiobook or radio drama form. Mm-hmm. So that's generally what I end up consuming while I'm doing other things. Cults. Cults, yes. Um, <laughs> what? What, what, what? Cults can mean a lot of different things in mm. a fantasy universe where gods are real. Yeah. I think Maybe there's a particular god worship of whom is banned, in which case yeah. 
all worship of them is a cult. Mm. Maybe there is a particular being that there is heavy dispute whether they even are a god or not, mm. in which case worship of them is a cult. Maybe there is a being who is not really a god at all, but behaves in a way that means that adherence to them is analogous to worship of a god, in yeah. which case worship of them is a cult. Yeah. Maybe the cult is an atheistic cult, but they behave in a really cult-like way, so they're a cult. Mm. I think there's also other types of there's end of the world cults um, who think imminent doom is going to be brought upon us, um, and I think as well the thing with cultists is they afford you a lot less nuance with religion and stuff like that because cults hmm. tend to be evil in fantasy settings. You can have a lot of fun with them that way. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like uh, the only cult I think that has really turned up as of yet in Dawnsumber would be the cult of Vesasark, and like their reason for existing is pretty clear. They think that the restrictions placed by the government on the legitimate temple of Vesasak make that temple illegitimate. So they're like, well, we're the real church. Yeah. Um, but also we do all these weird cult-like things, like we draw on our bodies a lot, and very occasionally we, like, we put people on altars and Vesasak strikes them by lightning and they turn into like weird blood magic abominations. <laughs> nice! Who, like run really fast <laughs> And have voices that fill the room and do magic at the expense of their own health, like way beyond their own level. Which honestly was all much more impressive in 2nd edition before 5th edition was like, magic is a lot more accessible now. Oh man. Like, I, I was never really sure where to take the Scriveners, so I'm kind of glad that you guys chose the, uh, the, the path where interaction with them is kept at a minimum. Yeah, um... In my setting, there are quite a few cults, but I think the main one is the cult of Oberon, which, if you know anything about fairies... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been in a in a play with this guy. Yeah. Um, I, I was in a school production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, that's lovely. I was bottom. Oh, you were we, we did have an Oberon. Yeah. And actually, like, compared to the rest of us, dude was huge. Oh, yeah. He's got to... Like, Oberon's got to have a bit of presence. Um... Oh, he had a lot of presents. Yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, like I was in year eleven, so I was probably actually like pretty tall. Yeah. But I just remember this dude as being like this gigantic endomorphic brick house. I didn't know him, but uh, he definitely fit the profile of like the the giant king of the fairies. Yeah, yeah. We 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 love we love a bit of Ober. I love a bit of Oberon. Um, speaking of which, actually. Um, did you know that originally Jay was based slightly off Puck from a Midsummer Night's Dream? Which No, but I can believe yeah. it. Well, there you go. That's that's where I drew inspiration from initially. And then obviously I watched Steven Universe and I was like, this character is Steven Universe now. I mean, like, I could also vaguely see Ariel from The Tempest. Right. Yeah, I don't, I've but never honestly, quite, Tempest. quite a lot of Shakespeare's, like, small... Like obedient sprite characters kind of run together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 like not incredibly. And also, the thing about Puck is that like Puck is pretty well defined. Whereas, depending on what you want the theme of your production of the Tempest to be, Ariel is a whole load of different things. Mm. Like sometimes Ariel does not even necessarily have a humanoid form. Yeah, it's just a sort of like cloud of gas. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like Puck's this. Oh shit! I mean, like a a Ariel's um, advantage is that in the Tempest, Ariel is like basically the only spirit. 
I think there is like a moment where like a fuck ton of spirits turn up at, at one point, but it's not like a Midsummer Night's Dream where you've got fairies basically all the way through. Yeah, I see. I've never seen Tempest. Right, the way you're describing it makes it sound like the movie Xanadu. I've never seen the movie Xanadu, so I don't know if we're going to be able to make this connection. <laughs> Dawn, uh, right? Okay, right. Xanadu is about this guy trying to build a roller disco, literally because a manic pixie dream girl, like, and that's quite literal, right? Comes down and is as like, in she's an actual pixie. She's not a pixie. She's actually a oh, she's okay. actually a muse. I think she's the muse of dance or whatever. And she comes down and she's like, "You have to build this roller disco, man. Like, realize your dreams." And he didn't want to build a roller disco before. I think he just wanted to like paint and stuff. And suddenly was like, "Yes, we have to build a roller disco." This is honestly not what I was expecting when you started to describe the movies. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's so weird. Like, and then there's like a random animated bit in the middle. And then at the end, the roller disco gets built, and then the muse is just like, um, awesome. And then she like sings a song, and then she like disappears into stars, and she returns to Zeus, and it's like, okay, cool. And then he, she's just left this artist with this roller disco because she wanted to dance in a roller disco. I, I can 100% guarantee the Tempest is not like that. That's a real fucking shame. <laughs> real briefly. <laughs> The Tempest is the last place um, Shakespeare ever wrote, and there's quite... Uh, you know that Shakespeare always had a self-insert character in every one of his plays? Yes. In uh, The Tempest, his self-insert character is the wizard. Nice. I can't remember his name. I, I can basically not remember the names of any of the good characters, but the principle is that the, the wizard is really old and constantly thinking about how he's going to die, or at least that's the subtext. He doesn't talk about it a lot. Right. Uh, but he and his daughter got, like, sent away from Naples. Like, they were banished, like, a while ago when she was the ba- she was a baby. Um, and he lands on this island where a witch called Sycorax has had this horrible, like, weird ape-like child called Caliban. Um, and because he's a powerful wizard, which might be the reason why he was, like, thrown out of Naples, or was it Venice to begin with? Some Italian city. Um, like this dude can just like take control um and he has a servant sprite called ariel but also caliban uh, caliban obeys him but caliban does not like obeying him and also constantly talks about wanting to rape his daughter oh my god it's it that that bit is is a bit displeasing but like the the central conceit of the plot is that a ship traveling from naples i know the ship is from naples <laughs> right i don't know if, if the rest of them are um containing like a prince crashes on the island and like basically the whole story is about how all of the survivors from the shipwreck like come out and try and survive while this dude like just sort of stands around commanding his minions to play tricks on them and being weird and his daughter falls in love with the prince and asks her dad to please stop playing pranks on him and stop being angry at him i I think possibly that the two of them must be from Naples because otherwise there's no reason for the wizard to be like really angry at these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this has been the half-remembered plot of the Tempest. When, when my history teacher, sorry, not English teacher, said the Tempest is boring. The Tempest isn't boring. It's just fucking weird. Uh, I know that she said. Oh, it's a bit boring. It's not very good. Like within the context that, of plays bad, that Shakespeare say. wrote about himself. Yeah, it's honestly one of the most interesting because like it's 
obviously, you know, um, in Romeo and Juliet, for instance, Mercutio is the um, self-insert character for Shakespeare, where he's he's well, he's fucking Mercutio. Like, yeah. honestly, there are a whole load of things that Mercutio is, but really just read or watch the play to get a sense of what some of our Mercutio is a riot. That's probably why my Mercutio has this really strong, like, bi vibe in the play, because... For real, like, yeah. yeah you're like... Whereas the wizard Prospero is just, like, this incredibly bad-tempered old man who has basically, like, no future vision whatsoever and, like, isn't a bad person, but is honestly, like both incredibly tired and incredibly frank about, like, his... Basically, he he thinks he might not necessarily die on the island, but the, like, whole capacity for meaningful work in his life is coming very close to having been expended. Dang, Shakespeare, that's deep. Obviously, in this case, in this case, Prospero is talking about how he's basically reached the height of his powers and he has not really done sufficient stuff that would make him be not exiled and like this has come to the point where this is the event that will have defined his life but Shakespeare is talking about how he's old now and he's probably done writing his best plays and he likely isn't going to write another one um I should point out that apparently we are technically guessing that the tempest is um yeah Shakespeare's last play yeah. because we don't know for sure what order they came in mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty much presumed um that there is oh but but there is also a like comic relief side plot with um two characters called Trinculo and Antonio who spend most of their plot with Caliban in tow because Caliban has been sent to troll them uh it gets weird like pretty quickly the daughter's called Miranda I don't know if, if at this point that's particularly relevant um the Tempest by comparison, does not have anything whatsoever to do with the topic that we were talking no, about. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Um, unless, unless we do just become bad cast, which, which honestly, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I feel that after you have fought literally Shakespeare, he might not be cool with, I with know, I us know. being bad cast. We've 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 burnt that bridge before we even got to it. No, yeah, sorry, Shakespeare. I don't know necessarily if there are any um, Shakespeare plays that deal with this particular topic. I don't think, like, oh. I don't, th- I don't know that like paganism is entirely absent from Shakespeare. It's certainly not, no. But I don't know if he ever really like did a history that talked about like a culture where a paganistic religion was just normal. And I think if he did, he wouldn't have gone a huge amount into... He probably wouldn't have, no. No. Because I I don't think the rich people he was writing it for would have appreciated it very much, since they were probably very Christian. Some of of the stuff that you see in, like, Shakespeare's plays shows that he was allowed at least a a bit of, of leeway on this is a history, so this is... These people as they were, yeah. which is bullshit because Shakespeare made up a whole load. Oh of crap. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never happened. Um, but like, it, it's at least implied that his audiences could understand that, like that, that it's a history and it's not saying that this stuff is necessarily true. Yeah. But I just don't think he did any that were about like Vikings or ancient Greece. Or I, I feel like of the famous um, like pagan societies. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans would be the most accessible to Shakespeare. Mm, yeah. Like, 
honestly, the Vikings would have been a lot more recent and a lot less respected. Yeah. And I feel like the ancient Egyptians are the kind of thing that maybe they hadn't even heard of. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think we did know. I mean, know. possibly they did. No, I, I think, like, um, it would be the kind of thing that... that People in that in that uh, that in this country uh, would have heard of in previous time periods, yeah. but which might not have been incredibly relevant at that particular time. Yeah, because I mean, it's you know, Egypt isn't not exactly that, like, deep world, Africa, world, is it? Like, yeah. it was oh, an explored bit of the world, so presumably. I'm not we saying that word wouldn't have reached it yeah. previously. I'm just saying that yeah. probably not a huge amount of news about that kind of thing reaching uh, Shakespeare. Because I don't know if it would have been relevant. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. And again, Maybe. if I'm wrong, please leave a, uh, yeah. a comment explaining so. Because that would probably be very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just basically turning into Alex doesn't know anything about ancient Egypt, the podcast. Oh, yeah. So I guess uh, in payment for last week, I'm just going to leave all of this of me sounding like an idiot in. Yeah. Good. That seems fair. <laughs> Did you know um, that... When there were woolly mammoths around, the pyramids were beginning to be to be built. That doesn't sound like a real fact, but unbelievably, that's a real thing. There's an entire Reddit thread, isn't yeah. there? It's just like things that happened at the same time in history that you didn't really think would happen. I know. Like like Oxford University is older than like calculus. Yeah. No, no, not not calculus. It's it's older than um, is it the Maya? It's one of the South American civilizations. Incredible. It it's. Uh... The world is... If you know which South American civilization <laughs> Oxford University is older than, uh, do please tell us in the comments, because that would be uh, interesting. Or just link the original Reddit thread. Yeah. I would like to read it yeah. again. I mean... Because it's really yeah. interesting. Because like, it has stuff like Martin Luther King and Anne Frank were born in the same year. Yeah. I mean, you have stuff like... Um, even just rela- like related, you know... And I think this does sort of relate to it somehow, but... Like, we think of... A lot of South American ancient civilizations as being ancient civilizations. And actually, they were fairly recent. Like, they're not that old, really. Like, yeah. com- comparatively. And they And I find that really interesting. You know, I mean, there are still monotheistic religions around today as well. Um, mm. And you would think, you know... And they've been around for years and years and years, and they still exist. Well, that was the huge today. problem, wasn't it, with like everybody freaking out about 2012? Because there were a whole lot of like yeah. news uh, agencies that were like, "What would the Mayans think if they could see us now?" And they're like, oh, "They the, can." They, yeah, there's... they they didn't die out, guys. Their civilization like doesn't look the way that it was before, and they've like integrated into a lot of of other South. But there are still yeah. Maya. They, 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 they still yeah, exist. There are still real people who have jobs and go to school and. Whatever I know, and like you know, all these Maya, like yeah, well, it, I mean it. I mean I it's bullshit. So okay. that's, yeah. <laughs> we're going to be fine. Yeah, calm down, guys. Because that's that's not even what, like that's not how that calendar works. Yeah. And also, it probably not true. Yeah. So so you're you're doubly safe. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, like ba- basically, what we're saying is that the 2012 hysteria was really racist. Yeah. Because it was. Yeah. And it was also ridiculous. Yeah. I mean. You know, not not to rag on any culture here in particular, but I don't think any culture ever has held the foresight to tell when the world is going to end. Because there are some that have like myths that establish that the world is going to yeah. end, but I think most of them have not really like they haven't made an attempt day, to have specify they? a date. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't I, really. I think you're going to look like a bit silly. I do think that like the the end timer cults in 
um, modern uh, Christianity yeah. have like somewhere where they're drawing dates from. Yeah. Although, actually, I think mostly they have a list of criteria that need to be met. Ah. Uh, and then it's just as soon as all of these criteria are met, the world will end. Ah, uh, that's and interesting. That's a, good thing for some reason and we should try and make that happen. I would I would like to see the inner workings of an end of the world cult. Quite honestly, I would like there to be a maybe like a Louis Theroux I documentary. Wouldn't. I'm not comfortable with the idea that an end of the world cult is is something that exists and I'm pretty thankful that the only ones that I've heard of are very very religiously motivated because something that I was discussing on Twitter very recently is we live in a world mm-hmm. where there is conceivably within the next 40, maybe even 30, as low as 20 years, there will be exactly zero humans on Earth who have ever known a world where humanity does not have the power of near-instant self-obliteration. That's, yeah. (laughs) Because think about it, it has been 70 years since the A-bomb was dropped. Mm. So pretty much all of the people who were born before that are going to die pretty soon. So it's just this really terrifying thing to think about that, like, the capacity to end human life as we know it, which from our perspective is basically the same thing as ending the world, is both within our grasp and connected to motivations that we as beings might have. Dang. It is absolutely horrifying to think about, and that's probably why we generally don't. Yeah. It, it's definitely the kind of thing where it's like, we are in the extended epilogue of some disaster story, where it's like... Because that's the thing, you, you can't put that back. That's not something that we, for as long as we remain a civilized society, can unlearn. That's true, yeah. Like, we will always have this capacity, even if we don't exercise it. Anyway, um, this has been House of Bards. Uh, I have been Alex. And this has been Beth. This has been Beth. Uh, you can contact me on at Baroness Banff. Uh, it's the same on Twitter and on Tumblr. Uh, if you have any comments or any theories, um, you know, absolutely. Uh, you could also use the hashtags House of Bars. Mm-hmm. That's all one word on Twitter, but split it out into multiple words anywhere that will allow you to do that. I can be contacted on Twitter and Tumblr as at Cleaver Crumbish. That is. C-L-E-V-E-R-C-R-U-M-B-I-S-H. It's spelled in the description. You know where to look. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know what kind of royalty-free images are going to be available for this particular topic, so I will put also a credit for the album art in the description. The music was by Kevin McLeod, as you probably know, but as we will continue to state, uh, just in case this gets reposted somewhere else, and try and think a bit more about the fact that you have never ever known a humanity that does not have the power of complete and utter self-destruction within a matter of minutes.